0: Passage continuing in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles there in the seats, that's page 812. This is our penultimate, our next to last Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is drawing to a close in his comments on the kingdom. He is beginning to circle back, to reflect and sum up what he has been sharing with his disciples some new some just merely listening in but we have been blessed to hear what he has to say and I believe that'll be the case again this morning so let's direct our attention and our hearts to the reading of God's word Matthew seven, fifteen through 23 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves Thanks be to God. may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, this passage speaks of difficult things, of things that may raise alarm and discomfort within us, but your word is for our good. And so would you, by your Spirit, help us to receive your truth, your instruction, your conviction this morning that we would be a people after your own heart. Would I serve that purpose and no other, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Almost all of us have heard the parable of the boy who cried wolf. He got lonely. Tired of watching the sheep late at night on his own And so he yelled and raised the alarm Wolf, wolf, wolf And out came the townspeople to scare away the creature Only to find the laughing shepherd And no predator And went back to their homes A couple nights later the same thing again The little shepherd boy raises the alarm Everyone comes out ready to deal with the attacker Upon the sheep There is no sheep they leave again. A couple nights later, a wolf does show up and begins to harass and attack the sheep. The boy raises the alarm, and no one comes. Usually, that parable is offered as a warning about truthfulness, about playing practical jokes in a way that is injurious to our reputation. It's a warning to those who tell tales. It's a parable about trust and being trustworthy. But what about the townspeople? Taking the story another way, and I'm not saying this is the way that it's intended, but taking it another way, we might wonder about those who lost sheep. Because often in towns such as the story describes, multiple people will work together to have their sheep washed by a shepherd. They own the sheep. They employ the shepherd to wash their sheep. And so there might have been many people in that town who lost their sheep that night. Some questions they may need to ask. Why didn't we go that last time? Why did we hire that shepherd? What made us think that He was an appropriate person to watch over our flock. I wish we had known who to trust. Jesus, who in the Gospel of John calls himself the Good Shepherd, shows care for this flock of new disciples and followers in warning them of the dangers and calling them to consider that there are those who might lead them astray. And the danger is not just from without. We are often well prepared to defend against attackers, barbarians, foreigners, Gentiles, the lawless, the people that don't follow God. But the danger can often come from within. So Jesus warns, out of compassion and care for us, that there might be people in our midst who would lead us astray, not only lead us astray, but endanger the flock. And just as God warned Israel about those who could lead them astray, about false prophets of their day, so Jesus warns his new disciples and warns us of the danger of false prophets. And when Jesus' followers have failed to listen to this in the past, it has been painful to those within the flock and often resulted in injury to the name of Christ to those outside of the flock. If at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, as those listening to Jesus are saying, I want to be a part of this kingdom. I want to enjoy the happiness and blessedness that Jesus has described. I have a heart for the righteousness that Jesus describes that goes beyond external performance or the attention of humans around us to a heart-motivated desire to please God. If they are to preserve and endure in what Jesus is calling them to, if they want to follow this Jesus then they also need to listen to his warnings as well as his instructions. This morning, I want us to ask ourselves why we need to watch out. What's the danger here? And then how we're to watch out. What should we be looking for? First, why we need to watch out. And the basic point is we need to watch out is because we are influenced by others. The opposite of judgmentalism is not naivety. Jesus has told us not to operate in the judgmental spirit, to not try to take the specks out of everyone else's eyes, to judge not lest we be judged. But that doesn't call us to blind trust. As Jesus has called us to watch over our own hearts, our own motives, the anger, the lust, the desire for attention of men within our own hearts— He draws our attention to those things which have power and influence over us, but not only the internal, but the external as well. Here Jesus is particularly calling out false prophets, and prophets are those who would claim to speak God's word. Now, in some occasions, that is a direct revelation, God says, but often the work of a prophet was to call people back to obedience, to say this is how you are to live your life in light of what God says, in light of who he is, and at times, though not always, those prophecies would be accompanied by works of power, by miracles, by signs. And so, Jesus is talking about those who might have real influence real authority in the lives of others for us though the office of prophet doesn't continue the the prophetic work of calling attention to what God desires how we're to live our lives continues through the work of elders and pastors and spiritual leaders in our lives and so this morning as we are going to pay attention to what Jesus is saying we need to consider first and foremost there is a reality that we are influenced by others We might be influenced by our pastors, by the podcasts or the news stations we listen to, the books that we read, the sermons that we seek out online as part of the larger flock that we are a part of. For those listening, it was prophets of that day, but also the spiritual leadership of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If, as we'll see there are false prophets that need to one day be exposed and will one day be excluded from the kingdom in the day of the last judgment, then we need to ask, who are we trusting? Who is influencing us? And acknowledging that we are influenced by others, models, teachers, and their practices can have influence and can hurt us now and in the future. We are influenced by our prophets, by those we give spiritual authority to in our lives. And that can pose a real danger. We need to watch out because there is a real danger posed by these false prophets. It's not just we are deceived and we don't like being deceived. There is real danger here. Jesus is not primarily talking about bad teaching. He describes these false prophets here as not only wolves in sheep's clothing but notice the descriptor ravenous wolves wolves are already prone to eating sheep but a ravenous wool is so consumed with hunger that they will be driven in aggression in power to do their utmost to feed that hunger within them starving they are ready to rip and shred to get what they want false prophets teach bad things but they also destroy the flock they rip apart the sheep they scatter the herd they appear like sheep to get in among the sheep so that they can consume the sheep now now sometimes that consumption can just be the meeting of their own internal needs the, the fulfillment of ego In Ezekiel 13, it speaks of false prophets who go around who have dreams that are their own dreams or ideas that are their own ideas and yet they claim that they are revelations from God. God promises judgment. He says, you are trying to use my name to build your ego, to build your authority. You are using my sheep to fill your sense of self-importance. And so there are those among us Those among the church who will use the church to try to build up their own egos, their own influence, their own sense of self-importance. Prophets in those days were used just for this purpose. In the uncertainty after God's people were taken into captivity and then returned, there was great upheaval. There were empires. There were... The, the Babylonians and then there were the Persians, and then the Persians were fighting with the Greeks, and then the Greeks were fighting with the Romans, and so Israel was caught in between this, and oftentimes Israel is trying to say, "Well, we want our own power and in the in the book of Maccabees we read about the Hasmonean dynasty that raised up, and these were a bunch of priests, and they said, "Yes, the Old Testament talks about a king, a king from the line of David, but we think." the priests should run God's people. And then they found prophets who would go around prophesying that this is what God wants. God wants God's people to be ruled by the priests. And then conveniently they said that there was a closing to prophecy so that no one else could prophesy against the fact that the priests should be in charge. Their sense of influence, their sense of power was served by people proclaiming authority in God so that they could feel important. Sometimes their financial needs. Jeremiah six thirteen through 14 From the least to the greatest of them everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And it's not just the businessmen and women it's not just the big corporations from prophet to priest everyone deals falsely. The prosperity gospel is not an invention of the 20th century. It's something that existed among prophets from ages past. Those who would come in and say, God wants this for you. God wants this from you. So that they can drain those who trust in them of their finances and their resources based on the hope of what they're saying. There are other dangers. The language of Paul is distressing when he offers this warning in 2 Timothy 3. He says this, Understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of money, lovers of self, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There are those that will use the desire of vulnerable men and women, their desire for acceptance, their desire for godliness and spirituality to abuse them for the self-gratification and self-fulfillment of those false prophets whether it's ego-building, political power, financial gain, emotional manipulation, or seduction, there are those who would use the guise of godliness to feed their based hungers. And here's the thing, sheep are followers. If we are seeking to submit to God's will, if we want to walk in the kingdom, we are open to the influence of those who are claiming to lead us in that direction. And yet to do so opens our fellow sheep and ourselves up to great potential harm. To trauma. Some led into sin, some led into the loss of their finances, some led into a lack of trust of the church and even God. And while we are not responsible for the evil, for the sin of these wolves, we do need to examine ourselves as to why we often don't give them closer examination because we have blind spots one of the reasons we need to watch out is because we have blind spots I'll address it again later but look at the self-justification of those excluded from the kingdom at the end of the passage Jesus says you aren't part of my kingdom but then they'll say, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? It's as if Jesus says, You don't have a place in my kingdom, and they're like, What do you mean? Look at what we've done. And notice that what they are appealing to. They're appealing to acts of authority and demonstrations of power. We've prophesied. We've cast out demons. We've done powerful things in your name. Sheep don't always want to be sheep. Sometimes we wish we had a little bit more respect in the animal kingdom, a little bit more power, a few more talons, some sharper teeth. I don't want to diminish in any way the capacity of wolves to deceive and to manipulate and to mislead. But there are times that we don't pay attention to the warning signs because we sometimes like what they're offering. We want a little bit more power. We want a little bit more respect. Things are getting done. Big things are happening. We're getting attention. People are paying attention to us. Something's happening. And we may not question when the flock is a few sheep short. It's just the cost of getting things done. We can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. There will always be complainers. There will always be people who are upset. We wonder why abusive, narcissistic leaders can rise so high and go on for so long. And sometimes it's because the proximity of power and influence, of being close to the one that casts out demons in Jesus' name, of being close to the ones who do stuff in the name of Jesus, mighty works. Sometimes we like being close to that. And so we fail to examine the fruit, what's under that wool. But to fail to do so is to abandon our fellow flockmates. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and says that the good shepherd doesn't calculate a ratio of acceptable loss. The good shepherd is not content with collateral damage. The good shepherd pursues the lost sheep, leaving the 99 behind. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep are not there for the shepherd, but the shepherd for the sheep. Jesus' only threat to the sheep is that which would destroy them themselves. Jesus' only threat to us is if we would hold on to our sin or hold on to our idols or hold on to our misguided loyalties. When he removes those from us, it is out of love and care for us. In so being loved by such a good shepherd, we are called to love one another, to watch over ourselves and the rest of the flock and whom we put our trust in Because there is danger not only from without But from within So then the question is What do we need to watch for If we can be deceived If there are those who do these mighty things What should we be looking for Jesus says the wolves look like sheep at least on the outside They're not walking around waving signs saying I'm a wolf, I want to eat you, I want to use you for your money I'm going to use you for my sexual fulfillment I'm going to use you to build up a platform or a brand for myself Sometimes it's pretty apparent But they go about disguised as sheep, pretending to be sheep At least on the outside and as we've already recalled, Jesus tells us not to go around pointing out the speck in everyone else's eye. We're not to go along around with a critical spirit looking at every little foible, every little misstep, every little failure as a reason to excoriate and to condemn and to expel other Christians. And so, Jesus is not calling us to say every leader who makes a mistake, who, who fails or who sins is necessarily a wolf. So if the danger is real, and we're prone to not seeing as clearly as we should, and we're not called to judgmentalism, how are we supposed to be on the lookout? Well, Jesus uses an agricultural image here, one he uses elsewhere. He refers to fruit. In verses 16 through 20, he says this, "...you will recognize them by their fruits." are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by their fruits there are lots of plants that look similar to one another and yet some of those plants are good and safe and some of them are not and sometimes it's hard to discern to discern between the two until they bear their fruit until their berries or their flowers or whatever comes are we then able to distinguish Jesus is saying it may be hard to look at that sheep and discern is that a good sheep or is that a wolf in disguise is that a healthy plant or an unhealthy plant and so there is a call to look at the fruit to inspect it now on one hand this may involve time Jesus calls us not to be critical to not judge lest we be judged and that means there is a call to be patient what is their fruit not only what is that one thing that they said or what is that one thing that they did but what is the pattern of what they produce so it may require patience But if we accept that we need to pay attention to the fruit, and if we need to give it time for discernment, what is it that we're exactly looking for? What is good fruit? Because sometimes we're like inexperienced produce shoppers. We go to the grocery store, we say, I need a watermelon, so we go straight for the biggest watermelon, right? But an experienced shopper knows that the biggest watermelon is not necessarily the sweetest watermelon. We need to accept the fact that we are prone to the shock and awe of authoritative proclamation and signs of power and yet need to look closer. Because power is often deceptive. And there are those who have power that are not followers of Christ. We read when Moses is sent to the court of Pharaoh to deliver God's people, he does certain signs and the magicians in Pharaoh's court reproduce them. They create serpents from their staff. They appear to make blood from water. The city of Ephesus, in which Paul ministered and God gathered a church to himself, from, was full of, mag- of magicians who did great works of power and made lots of money through their signs and deeds. We need to look closely at the fruit And accept that power Is not the thing that we're looking for most Authority and influence is not the first thing Sometimes we have to learn We've learned this lesson in other places in our life In middle school and high school We're we're often prone to think Well I want to be friends with the most popular Or the most handsome Or the most pretty Or the, the one that has the best clothes Or the most money Or is the best athlete Is being a good athlete a bad thing? necessarily. Is being attractive a bad thing? No. Or having a little bit more money or academic power? No. But oftentimes, and often painfully, we learn that what matters most is not their popularity or their power, but are they an actually good friend? Do they listen? Do they care for us? Jesus is asking us to look closer. There may be signs of power. There may be demons being driven out. But what else is going on? He's calling us to see if we see the type of righteousness he has been describing. Are they doing unto others as they would have done unto them? Are they willing to be counted as those who mourn? Are they willing to be counted among the poor, the meek, those who suffer for the sake of righteousness according to the wisdom of the kingdom? In many ways, Jesus is not warning them against future wolves, but present ones. Yes, there may be future wolves who try to break in as false prophets, but as Jesus is getting close to the end of his sermon here, we'll remember that earlier on in the sermon, he told the people that if they wanted to participate in the kingdom, that their righteousness had to supersede that of the scribes and the Pharisees, those who appeared the most righteous. Jesus uses this analogy of fruit and inspecting fruit when he confronts the religious leaders later in his ministry. He casts out demons and they accuse him of being in league with the evil one. Jesus responds this way in Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 32 to 38. Excuse me, Matthew 23. Starting in verse 32. i really put down the wrong thing. So I will just paraphrase what Jesus says there because I don't have it referenced right in my notes. But Jesus is responding to the Pharisees. They say, you are in league with the evil one. And he says... You are to recognize a tree by its fruit, just as he does in this analogy. And then they say, they want to say, well, then prove that you're a good person. Work a sign for us. And he says, the only sign I will perform is the sign of Jonah. And he refuses to do a work of power. The Pharisees say, oh, you drove out demons. And despite the fact that you did it in the Lord's name, you must be a bad person. But if we're going to really believe you, what we need to do is see other miracles from you. What he says is, what he's doing is, he's associating the religious leaders of the day with those who seem to be fruitful, seem to be powerful, and yet if you really pay attention to their fruit, they're interested in power and influence rather than the truth. He is associating the religious leaders of the day with bad trees bearing bad fruit by rejecting Jesus and his ways. Instead of evaluating Jesus' words and actions against the rest of God's word, against the heart of God revealed in the law and prophets, they want to be awed and to following him. Jesus is saying the kingdom is not so much concerned with deeds of power, but deeds born out of love for God and neighbor. The end of this passage can leave us a bit disconcerted. There are those who think they're part of the kingdom who do things in the name of Jesus who think they have a place. But before causing concern to those with tender conscience, we need to see that Jesus is continuing his confrontation with leaders and false prophets who would assume positions of power and influence because of what they've done and think that they have a right to the kingdom. There are those who are loud and proud and proclaiming that by following them, they will usher others into the kingdom. But we find that they will be excluded. And notice what Jesus says when they try to justify themselves. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. We remember that in scripture, knew or to know is a powerful word of intimacy. Intimacy. It's not that they didn't have cognitive awareness of Jesus. They did not have a relationship with him. They did not know Jesus. He was not known to them, even though they use his name. And for all of their claims, he calls them workers of lawlessness. Jesus is talking to people who would be professing to preach on God's law, including scribes and Pharisees who are very much concerned with laws. This points us to the fact that there are two forms Of what can be described as lawlessness There is lawlessness in terms of not having law You are without law and so not directed by laws But there is a spirit of lawlessness Which rejects law And what Jesus is saying is You who are concerned with power, with authority With gathering a a following in my name So that you can use the sheep Are lawless even if you are doing it on the basis of the authority of my law. There are attorneys that don't stand up for justice, but use loopholes in the law to win. There are doctors who don't care about healing people, but treating them in order to earn money. And so there are those who can use the law for lawless purposes of building themselves up, of justifying themselves and using the sheep. In Romans chapter 6, he writes to Jews about their former lawlessness. Yes, they weren't complete in their obedience, but Jesus is saying, you had all the laws, you had all the prophecies, you were trying to keep the law, but you didn't have me. That's why their former ways were lawless. Jesus uses this phrase of lawlessness Again, in Matthew 24, when he's talking about the last days, and he says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness produces a lack of love, whereas real love should produce law keeping. Lawlessness is about rejecting God's instructions, but also rejecting God when applying the laws. When citing laws to appear righteous on the outside, when using the power of the law to build oneself up, when we claim to d- know the law but deny the lawgiver, we are just as lawless as those who don't know the law. Jesus is saying, Examine the fruit. Are your leaders, are these prophets, are these influencers operating from love of God? Are they acting towards sheep to direct them to love of God? Is Jesus' name a tool for their power and for people to be devoted to them so that Jesus will be obligated to them? Or is Jesus' name the power by which many will be saved? Are their hearts being melted in the presence of the grace, compassion, and love of God so that they act from a knowledge of God so that others will know him too? As we evaluate those who have influence and power and claim to be prophets and instructors of us, it will also cause us to ask ourselves is that how we are discipling others? Are we discipling others so that we feel like we're important in God's kingdom? Or are we discipling and sharing the gospel so that others will know the heart of God? And as we have inevitably people that influence us, who lead us, who direct us among the flock, we need to ask, is our devotion to such people or is our devotion to Jesus? Can we break with popular celebrity pastors or writers or podcast speakers despite their popularity, despite their power and their appeal, if what they are doing is against the word and character of Christ. It may be hard, but our primary devotion is not to prophets. It's not to pastors. It's to Jesus. I just want to be honest that this is a pretty heavy text. It's a warning against real dangers dangers that many of us have experienced either ourselves or seen among our friends. And it's a call to be vigilant because that real danger continues. So I want to leave you with this last bit. This side of heaven, the people of God will not be a completely safe place. The standards that Jesus calls us to Our call to follow him should make it a safer place than among those who don't know the good shepherd, the true king. We are called to do our best to protect ourselves and to protect one another. But hear the good news at the end of this passage. Jesus says, get away from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, you false prophets wolves Jesus is promising us a place where the poor won't be oppressed where the simple won't be taken advantage of where the weak will not be abused, where the lonely will not be preyed upon. Jesus' act of restricting false prophets and those who would self-justify themselves in power is a work of the good shepherd protecting the sheep as he invites them into the kingdom where they will always be safe. In his kingdom we shall be safe, for the good shepherd knows his sheep, and he knows wolves, and he will not allow them into his kingdom if you don't take anything else away from our time in God's word this morning, know that if you are sheep who follows Jesus, he will lead you into a kingdom where there are no more wolves because he has defeated everyone. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to be on the lookout. Help us to take seriously our call to examine whom we trust, to protect our sense of who we are influenced by and led by and to protect others. But thank you, God, that you warn us of danger. That you have given us Christ, that we can discern what godly leadership, what a true prophet, what a true king, what a true priest looks like. And Jesus, thank you for the promise of a kingdom where there are no more predators, where there is no more death. Amen.